Deductibill. How are you? I'm eight. How you doing? Pretty good. How are a you? Little, uh, little, going a little stark crazy with this working from home. Scott is on. How you doing, Scott? Doing good. How are you guys? All right. Stark crazy. <laughs> oh, my car only cost me seventeen hundred instead of thirty five hundred. Oh, that's only. good. It's half the money. That's good. Yeah. No, I, yeah, that is good. I mean, it's yes, it's better than thirty five hundred, but still. Whew. Oh, it's still well crazy. And I, I wonder. I mean, it might have turned love? out the same. No, yeah, it might have turned out the same. No, no matter what. But when I took the car up to the place, I didn't talk to the to the to the lady that usually is up there, Darlene. I talked to a different guy, and and then suddenly, you know, I. I knew it was going to be about a thousand, and then all of a sudden it came back to going to be like between three and four thousand. Could so be all a scam. There. It should be I a thousand. They want to charge yeah. you seventeen hundred, so they tell you it's going to be thirty five hundred, and then you're happy to pay the seventeen hundred. It could be that too. It could be that too. But I've known Dar. But everything changed when I went and talked to Darlene, and then like you know, she's like, "I'll try to keep the cost down." Blah blah blah. Then she got another mechanic to look at it, and supposedly he found other things, and yeah. So I don't yeah, know if I the Framistad is on the on the Fritz. Exactly. So, but um, you I know, hate when that happens. Mm-hmm. You, you have so, problems with your Hoosie Watsits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I hate I hate when I have a problem with my Hoosie Watsits. <laughs> So Fortunately, they get pills for that. When, yeah. when, when, you have, when you have a problem with your who's you watch, it's do you go to the ENT or the urologist? I don't know. <laughs> Depends on how flexible you are. You could, well, never mind. I won't. Never mind. <laughs> I could suck my who's you watch. It's what? Oh, my God. What? No. what? Nothing. And now it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! What's in the box? Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spataro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing else. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitaro, and those guys are Bill and Scott. What? Hi. How you guys doing? <laughs> I'm doing awesomely. How about you? I might. I might. I might be going a little crazy, crazy <laughs> for being in my house. Yeah, I, I, well, if you can't tell, because hopefully everything will have calmed down by the time you hear this, but we are recording this right in the middle of the coronavirus stay home and work from home time period. So we're all going crazy. I spoke to Dave Pascarella today. He said we should have done uh, No Man's Land in tribute of it. 
<laughs> or the stand. I said it's one of my friends. I feel oddly compelled to go to Vegas. <laughs> but this is well, I we're just doing honest, a regular I'm show, no I, Corona. I, I I needed the downtime and I needed to get caught up on some reading, so I'm I'm actually I'm I'm all right. I'm not going stir crazy. I'm enjoying the peace and quiet. So. Well, well I'm I, I actually, had a house to unpack too. So. I'm not actually away from work because, oddly enough, this was the week I planned my vacation. So <laughs> I was going to be home anyway, but now it pretty much limits. It's like, well, I guess I'll still be staying home. And I had two of my uh, um, my one daughter came down for like a little mini vacation. And now we don't know about her flight going back. And my other daughter came home from college because uh, college is probably going to be shut down the rest of the year. So yeah, I got a house. I have a full house. I have all three of my kids here now. Yeah, and my one daughter, my daughter has an apartment up in uh, Tallahassee, and she's like, I don't know, do I break the lease now? Because she had it until August, and she's like, ah, does she just? I'm like, ah, did I co-sign on the lease? Uh, <laughs> did we co-sign? I break that. Who knows? Don't know what's gonna happen. I'm sure there'll be extenuating circumstances with everything else that's going on. So it's a lot my, of my daughter showed up. Said, I have a daughter. <laughs> oh crap! <laughs> Your daughter showed up, and Melissa wanted to get a divorce. <laughs> He's like, Scott, uh oh, the jig is up, and I'm well, gone. You know, the people who have that, and I can tell you, I'm not one of them. Uh, but the people who have that are all like starting to be in, in for rude awakenings because of this DNA testing. A whole bunch of people are discovered. I've heard about. I haven't heard so much about children, so much as siblings. People saying, oh, I found out I have a sister I didn't even know about. It's amazing. <laughs> I, pro- I I could tell you I've heard at least four different people who've said that. Hmm. So, Interesting. Since we brushed on the topic of Corona. Okay. Oh, um, well, no, no, no. No. How do you think this is going to... Is this going to spell an early doom for the comic book shop industry? Well, I think Not all having small people... business owners are having a problem with this situation. Well, right yes. Now, no, I, I agree that. But was this hasten the decline, perhaps? I'm not looking forward to it, but uh, it's like it's going to be hard for these stores to stay – any stores to, 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 to stay afloat. Well, I suspect that there may be some government aid coming in for certain people, but I, I still don't know – you know – Comic book collectors are a funny breed, <laughs> and once they get used to not going to a store, they may not get back to use, you know, get back to going anymore. Oh, I know because I know that's how I was out for a long time because it's just like, meh. Well, I haven't been in a while, and nothing interests me. I don't know, and it might just be sales are not what they used to be. Don't know. I mean, if there's no foot traffic coming into these stores with a lot of people. Uh, you know, a lot of the stores make their, I, I've said it before, make their money on their merchandise and stuff. And if nobody's coming in, I don't know. I, I didn't You're also dealing my... with, with a situation where, you know, a lot of, you know, I'm not trying to pass judgment on anybody, but a lot of small business owners uh, don't report all their income. So mm. now if there is government aid, the government aid might be, well, let's see what your taxes were last year compared to now. Oh, last year you only made five thousand dollars according to your taxes. 
Yeah. Whoops. So you really don't need too much. Mm. So I hadn't it, thought of that. Yeah. It could be, you know, there could be issues on that, even even if the government does offer to help. Oh, wait, look at my alternate set of books. What? It's <laughs> so on the subject of uh, of comic shops. I was doing some some unpacking. Like I said, I, for those that aren't aware, I, I moved recently, so I'm in a in a brand new house. And uh, literally, actually, brand new house. this is this is my first time uh, podcasting in uh, in this room where I'm not sitting on the floor. For our past several shows, I've been sitting on the floor. Because uh, I didn't have you know any uh, any office furniture or whatever, but uh, Logan came over uh, this past weekend, my my youngest boy and his girlfriend and uh, my wife, and they put together my my desk for me because I suck at putting things together. So they actually did it for me. So I have a brand new desk. I'm waiting on an actual office chair. I'm sitting on just a freaking folding chair at the moment, but it's nice. It's a nice new. Uh, I can't really call it my comic room because all my comics are downstairs because I'm afraid they would damage the the foundation of the upstairs if I brought them all up into this one room. So they they're actually downstairs, but <clears throat> but yeah, it's nice. But anyway, as I was unpacking, I came across some paperwork from the very first job that I worked very very briefly. When I first moved to Georgia, or excuse me, we moved to Florida from Georgia ten years ago. Um, while I was waiting to get hired on at Disney, um, I took other jobs, and so I'm I'm flipping through this box. Is this when you were book. working as a pimp? Right. Scott <laughs> Gardner. Well, came across what was it when you were in the list. porn industry? <laughs> I came across this list of comic shops that are now where where we've moved to are very close to the, the area that was listed with these comic shops. And one of them, I remember thinking about not long ago, my wife and I were you know out kind of exploring the new area that we've moved to, and we saw this one shopping center, and I'm like, why does that shopping center look so familiar? And then I, it was kind of tickling my brain that I think there used to be a comic shop there, but you know it wasn't there anymore. So anyway, I, I found this list of comic shops. So evidently, when I first moved here, you know, I had done my homework and, and written down like all the comic shops I could find or whatever. And I did searches, you know, internet searches on each one. Every one of them was gone now, and it just made me so sad that you know now I live in the area where all these shops were, but you know here it is ten years later, they're all gone. I was that was so sad. I was like, oh, but I was right. I that one that I remembered being in that shopping center, it was there at one time. So, mm. but not anymore. So yeah, you know, ten Wait. years later and three shops gone. So I know what the H stands for now. What's that? Huge. That was your porn <laughs> name, right? Scott Huge Gardner. <laughs> Maybe hermaphrodite. No. The world may never know. I used that one before. Hermaphrodite. Yeah. When, when we, back when we were doing Two True Freaks. I would have a different H a lot of times for uh, for different shows. I know I used that one at one point. I'm glad it didn't stick. Thank God. <laughs> Who says it didn't So are we stick? doing a show or what? Yeah, we are. So uh, last time out, we you had a book picked, and we never got right? to it. So even though it's off of our traditional order, I say we start with your... Tales of Woe before we move on. Actually, I think 
chronologically, Ooh. well, chronologically, I think he's uh, up. But yeah, it would be Marvel DC indie. Yeah, anyway. I, I, if we did if we did Marvel DC indie, uh, I would be second. But I looked him up in uh, you know the chronological order, and I am. I am first. I'm going to go first, damn it, because I, I did all this homework for the last episode and then got cut for time. So, um, <laughs> Oh, sorry, so Scott, quick, we got to go. Oh. <laughs> real quick before we get into this, um, I want to thank somebody for kind of sparking my interest and in helping me find uh, what I'm going to talk about tonight. So big thanks to our buddy Professor Alan Middleton of the uh, Relatively Geeky family of podcasts, uh, which include... Um, the Quarterbin Podcast, uh, the Short Bus Showcase. Um, I forget the other ones that are on that network, but uh, Alan's a hell of a nice guy, and uh, every now and again he'll he'll send me a nice little bundle of just weird stuff that he's picked up. Uh, I'm presuming for a quarter because you know the Quarterbin show that he does. Um, don't say too many nice things about him because we'll never get rid of him. What's that? I said don't say too many nice things about him or we'll never get rid of him. <laughs> we don't want to get rid of him, or do we? Um, <laughs> but uh, not long ago, uh, and I think I talked about this on the show, he, he sent me a nice little bundle that included some Tarzan comics. And while I, you know, I'm not like some huge Tarzan fan or anything, but I've always kind of liked Tarzan, you know, and just kind of that vague like, yeah, he's a kind of interesting character kind of thing. And I've I've read, you know. As a kid, I read several of the Tarzan books, and uh, you know I like Tarzan movies when they're done really well. Like Greystoke, I really liked the recent Tarzan, um, whatever the hell the name of it, Legend of Tarzan, I think was the name of it. That was a pretty good movie. Um, but I'd never read any of the DC or Marvel Tarzans. I've read some of the more recent, like the Dynamite stuff, which was pretty good. But I'd never read any of the classic, like um, DC or Marvel Tarzan, despite the fact that you know I, I'd seen them constantly you know whenever i go bin diving or whatever and alan had sent me some and it just kind of sparked an interest in you know what you know now that i actually had them in my hand was flipping through them i'm like hey these look interesting and i'd kind of like to check into this so i did some digging into it and kind of just stumbled ass backwards into what i'm going to talk about tonight so this is something, I think this is something kind of new, something we've never really done uh, on Back to the Bins before, where I'm actually covering two books. And what I'm covering is the first two chapters of a story. So it started in one book and it finished or, or continued rather in a, in a different title. Um, so this is the first two chapters of Pellucidar. Is, that was the, the name of the series. So chapter one. <clears throat> pardon me, is entitled The World Within, and it was scripted by Len Wein uh, with art by Alan Wise, our old buddy Alan Wise, from uh, our uh, Focus On episode, our one and only Focus On episode so far. If you haven't heard it, go back, seek it out. It was a really good show, in my opinion. Uh, anyway, art by Alan Wise and uh, was originally presented in the May-June 1972 issue of DC Comics' Korak, Son of Tarzan, number 46, the first DC issue, and more on that later, what that means. So our synopsis, uh, somewhen, uh, there is no date given on this story of when it's supposed to be taking place, so somewhen, uh, apparently in Africa, young explorer David Innes and his elderly friend Abner Perry complete work on a gigantic machine, the Iron Mole, which Innes uh, has financed and Perry has invented the engine for. Um 
that didn't make any sense. Completed a it's it's a, a giant engine for boring into the earth essentially. Uh, they fire it up and the massive earth boring machine dives into the earth's crust, but almost immediately something goes wrong. The steering wheel jams, and the two men are helpless to sway or stop the runaway mole's downward descent. Just when things look bleakest and that old Perry might not make it, the mole grinds to a stop and the two men exit the device to find themselves in a lush tropical world, the world at the Earth's core, Pellucidar, although they don't know that's the world's name just yet. The two explore a bit and it is Perry that deduces that they are in fact deep inside the Earth. They are then attacked by a giant beast that looks kind of like a part bear, part warthog. Uh, Ennis manages to distract the beast from going after Perry, but then finds himself helpless against a pack of ravenous wild dogs intent on making him their midday snack. Things don't look good for Ennis, and just when he's thinking he's done for, he is snatched to safety from above by a bunch of ebony-skinned humanoid man-apes who whisk him away to their village where he is reunited with Perry. And that's the end of chapter one and the end of uh, the first book. Chapter two is entitled The Arena of Sudden Death and was written and drawn by the aforementioned uh, Len uh, Len Wein and Alan Wise. And uh, we open to a splash page that begins a summary of what happened in chapter one, but with an odd depiction of Ennis and Perry dressed in animal skins and accompanied by a scantily clad woman we've never seen before. Following the recap, the duo are swept away by the man-apes to a primitive gladiatorial arena where they are made to fight for their lives against a hyenodon, which I wonder, was this even a real thing? I meant to look this up, and I I never did. Uh, We are told a hyenodon is a wild dog of a late Ocean period, I don't know how you pronounce this, E-O-C-E-N-E, Eocene period, I don't know how the hell you pronounce it. Is this a real thing, a hyenodon? I've never heard of this before. Anyway, Ennis knocks it on the head uh, with a hurled rock, and this seems to suitably impress their captors. Suddenly, we take a right turn into Planet of the Apes when the gorilla men, enemies of the ape men apparently, show up and snatch Ennis and Perry and add them to their collection of already captive humans. Here we meet the girl from the splash page, furry bikini outfit and all, and learn that she is the frigid bitch. Uh, <laughs> no, not Nova. She is Diane the Beautiful, Princess of Amoz. They also learn that the gorilla men are called Sagoths, and that Diane's two human male companions are the affable Gak, poor bastard named after a bowl <laughs> full of Klingon worms, and the sleazy Hooja the Sly. Hooja takes a pretty quick disliking to Ennis that comes to a head when Hooja puts the moves on Diane. She rebuffs him, and Ennis comes to her rescue by beating the fertilizer out of the slimy little shit. But rather than winning the girl, Ennis has perpetrated some sort of cultural faux pas, and she is offended again. There is no time to ponder this mystery, however, as the humans are ushered into a dark uh, cave tunnel by the Sagoths. When they emerge into the light on the other side, however, Perry points out that Hooja the Sly is gone, and he's taken Diane the Beautiful with him. So, uh, some notes on this one. So, 
the core, the title of the uh, the uh, for the first book, uh, Korak, Son of Tarzan, like Tarzan before it was initially published by Gold Key from the, their first issue in January 1964 to issue 45 in January 1972. Uh, when DC Comics took over not only the rights and the publishing, they also took over the numbering, which I, I always thought was kind of cool and odd at the same time they did the same thing with tarzan when uh, when dc acquired the rights to publish tarzan they just picked up the old numbering from gold key um to my knowledge i'm not aware of them ever doing that with anything else but uh i, I just thought that was kind of cool so hence why dc's core act number 46 uh sports a circle stating first dc issue uh, and again, they did the same thing with uh, with DC's Tarzan uh, issue number 207 uh, has the same circle that says first DC issue. So even though the numbering is high, you're actually starting with a, a, a brand new number one for all intents and purposes, just with a different company. Um, so both Korak, Son of Tarzan and Weird Worlds, that was the where. Uh, the second chapter was, by the way, I don't think I mentioned that before. Chapter two was in Weird Worlds number one, which is a DC book as well. Uh, so both Korak and Weird Worlds presented, uh, at least initially, all Edgar Rice Burroughs creations. So Korak uh, shared issue 46 with Carson of Venus, um, which I thought visually at least uh, a much more interesting story than the Korak tale that's in that book, uh, as it's drawn by none other than Mike Kaluta. And uh, it's uh, it's really good, Mike Kaluta, although it's not like I don't know if I would have been able to pick out that it was Mike Kaluta if I hadn't you know seen it in the credits or I hadn't learned it ahead of time because it's very different from like his shadow stuff, uh, but it's really good. Um, and while no origin is given for Korak, uh, his tale's fairly straightforward. It's just it's kind of dull, uh, both story wise and definitely art wise. I forget who the artist is on it off the top of my head, but it just it uh, it, uh, I don't think so. It's art by Frank Thorne. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, right. Frank Thorne. That was it. Yeah, Frank Thorne. Yeah, I I'm not really familiar with who that is now. Kubert did the cover. He did most of the most, if not all, of the covers for Korak and for Tarzan. But I don't. Well, I this, don't know whoever that this Frank did. Thorne is, he's clearly trying to present it in a in a, in a uh, Joe Kubert style, style. Yeah, yeah, I'll agree with that because it, it has that same kind of scratchy look to it and everything, which isn't what I don't like about. It. I mean, yes, I'm not a fan of that scratchy look, but it just I don't know. It looks. Um, it, it, it looks, a, it, you know, now that you pointed it out to me, I, I have to admit I didn't really look that closely at it, but now that you pointed it out to me, it looks a, just a little bit less detailed than Kubert's work does. It's the same, yeah. and it, same it, stylistically, but it's not, I, I think Kubert's work has a little bit more uh, weight to it. It has a it has an inferior look, if you know what I mean. Like like it doesn't look like a like a DC book to me. It looks like one of the inferior indies. You know what I mean? Like it like like it's older than it actually is. Maybe maybe if you that's know. one of maybe that's maybe this particular artist worked for it when it was before it was a DC book. And that's entirely possible. This this is not my forte, so that is entirely possible. I I don't know that. It's not mine either. Um, anyway. 
um, both uh, Carson and Pellucidar uh, tales uh, are the beginning chapters of their origin stories, which which I like. So we are jumping into those at the very beginning, um, whereas the Korak, like I say, it's not an origin story. So it kind of feels like a story already in progress kind of thing. Um, Carson of Venus would continue uh, on in Korak. Weird Worlds, however... Uh, it was truly weird because both tales in issue one are, again, Edgar Rice Burroughs' adventures, but each one is a story um, already in progress. So here you've got Weird Worlds number one, yet both of the stories that you're getting in there began somewhere else. So uh, Pellucidar, of course, has made the jump over from Korak uh, after just one appearance, and the other, which was John Carter, uh, Warlord of Mars, beautifully illustrated, I mean, gorgeously il- illustrated by uh, Murphy Anderson. Uh, in fact, I just learned of this the other day, um, you know, that, that um, you know, after I picked up the issue, that it was uh, Murphy Anderson. And then, like, a day within a day or so, I saw um, Ron Friends posting about it on Facebook. And I thought, well, that's a weird, you know, timing coincidence that, you know, he just happened to be, be raving about something that I, I literally had just picked up. Um, but anyway, the John Carter uh, story that uh, we see in Weird Worlds number one was already three chapters along because it began in Tarzan number 207. So John Carter and Pellucidar would continue in Weird Worlds until issue eight when suddenly all of the Edgar Rice Burroughs material was uh, replaced by Howard Chaikin's Iron Wolf. And this was presumably because it was more cost effective for DC uh, rather than paying royalties to the Edgar Rice Burroughs estate for the use of their characters to just, you know, come up with something brand new. So all of a sudden, you know, it all ended and they just, they went to something completely different. Um I point all this out. I know it's kind of a long way to get to this, but I point all this out because it was fairly easy to do all this research and read up on all this stuff in the digital age of instantaneous web searches and Wikipedia entries and all of that. Um, I, I, I did all this and, and I'm going on like this because I want to ask a very simple question without footnotes of which I could n- find none in either of the two stories I just covered pointing readers either forwards or backwards to previous or subsequent chapters. How in the hell in 1972 was a kid supposed to keep up with these stories? I, you know, I I'm trying to remember like back in the day, how, how would we know? How did you discard? I mean, was it just one of those things that, you know, well, you, the, the arena of sudden death does have a footnote that says see Korak 46. Oh, does it? Okay. I, I must yeah. have missed that. Okay. That's, so I, I yeah, that's, that's on the second, right after the, the hyena Don and yes, the hyena Don is real. I looked it up. Oh, okay. Cool. So I have not, I have not read the, um, John Carter, story in here yet in word worlds number one so it it may have a footnote as well i just didn't see one on a click on a quick uh you know flip through the through the issue or what but there may be one in there so okay so that that kind of answers that question but i just i did i missed the one uh for the pellucidar part but i was just like you know is this recap supposed to be enough you know to get you up to speed or whatever so that you don't feel like you know, you, you've missed anything or that you're jumping into a, a story and you'd be lost or what. But 
I almost wish I'd read them in in opposite order to to know how I would have felt, you know, without reading the first chapter of this. You know, would I would I feel lost picking up just Weird Worlds number one, you know, without having read the the prior chapter? I, I don't know. I think, the recap, I think you would a little bit, although the recap does bring you, you know, it does give you enough information that I guess you could have joined it there. But right, yeah, I, I agree with you though that the the lack of guidance is kind of surprising, especially in that era, because that is, you know, I mean, it's around the time when I was starting to collect, and I depended on that stuff. That's one of the things that got me so into comics was the ability to. To you know, to see where things had happened previously and know where to look to find them. That's that's one of the things right. that turned me from a comics reader to a comics collector. Right. So I'm a, I'm a little surprised to see comics from that era that don't have a little bit more to them as far as that goes. But you know, my my two things about this thing, if I could just because I only have two notes, is if I didn't know better, sure. if I didn't know what time Edgar Rice Burroughs was writing. I would think that they stole this from Warlord instead of, you know, possibly the other way around. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, right. Uh, you know, it, it just seems surprising that his sidekick is Ganthit. <laughs> those those well, are my two notes. I'm done. I'll, I'll see you guys for the next book. I I don't have a lot of, you know, in the way of, well, I mean, that was pretty much all my notes except for one thing now. Um I like Len Wein a lot. I, I think he was a really great writer. Um, by all accounts, he was a really nice guy and everything. Um, but with this one, you know, I, it, it, I'm wondering. I'm not, I've never read a Pellucidar novel. You know, I, I have no real attachment to this. No real knowledge other than you know the broad strokes. You know, I, I knew that Pellucidar was was a lost world. Um, you know, a, a, an inner Earth type of story and all that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how close the adaptations are on these sorts of things. Like, are they word for word or are they loosey goosey? I really don't know. But all I know is that the dialogue really could have used some help with this because I don't know how it came to my attention. But at some point I started counting and Perry refers to Innes as my boy 22 times between these two stories and each of these chapters are really short so he does it 10 times in the first chapter and 12 times in the second chapter and then between both of the chapters Innes refers to Perry as either old man or old friend eight times and I'm like okay you know I realize there's only the two characters but I'd rather have them constantly just use each other's real names other than this goofy my boy, old man, old friend thing that they were just wearing out. I mean, I'm wondering if I had read the entire uh, saga of this, which I think ran to issue seven, I think something. I'm, I'm wondering how many total you know, I would have counted in there. What, did they keep this going the whole time? I'm not even sure Ween was the writer on the entire thing. I don't know, but. I, I, I just. I think that was more I, of an older trope, though. That if you look back, I think they did that a lot more often than they, you know, than than would be norm, normal or considered normal. You know, back then, you know, it's like Captain America calling people son. You know, they, they seem to right. do it all the time. 
Well, I mean, I know that, you know, older comics, especially older DCs, did the old friend thing a lot. I know Superman and Batman did it all the time in, in like, World's Chum. Finest. But this this one, yeah, and Chum, that sort of thing. But this one must have really been wearing it out for me to even notice it. You know what I mean? I mean, 22 times in two short chapters is kind of ridiculous. And I, I think that's why I noticed it. I'm like... Didn't he just? I mean, and sometimes it was within a panel. He he did it two or three times within one panel's worth of dialogue, and I, I think that's where I started to notice it, and it started to kind of gray after a while. Um, what'd you guys think of this? I thought it was kind of interesting. I thought you know it was, you know, considering how how short it is, I think it was pretty compressed. I think there was a lot going on. You had to kind of, you know, read it, read through it a little carefully or you'd kind of lose track of it. But on the other hand, I also kind of feel that that doesn't say much for the storytelling that if, you know, I, I like when, you know, like by, by looking at the pictures, you kind of get an idea of what's going on, but then the words flesh it out further. This almost feels like right. you need the words or you'd have no clue. Right. Yeah. So I agree with that. I, you know, I, I don't know if it's the complexity of the story and that they're trying to squeeze it in so few pages that it made it, you know, fairly impossible to to tell the story well in the pictures or, you know, if it's a shortcoming to uh, to the way it's drawn. Uh, you know, considering, uh, you know, if you listen to our uh, focus episode, uh, considering, you know, what we thought of, of his other work, I'd say it's probably more the former than the latter. Uh, it might just be that there's so much going on that, you know, you, there's no way of telling the story in the pictures, especially with such a short page count. So, you know, I'll, I'll give them the, the benefit of the doubt on that. I do think the artwork otherwise is pretty good, pretty moody. It sets kind of the right tone for what we're looking at. But all that said, and I did enjoy this, I really didn't feel compelled to find where the third chapter of the story is. I, I will completely, yeah, I will completely agree with you on that. Um, the whole reason that I know I, I sought out Korak uh, 46 because one of the books that Alan sent me was Tarzan 207, you know, the one that's that's bannered with the first DC issue. And while I was at a, a comic shop recently, I happen to see the Korak 46 in there with it also says the, you know, first DC issue. And I thought, well, this would be fun to, you know, just to have that companion book, you know. And so that's really why I picked it up, mm-hmm. only to discover that there was this, you know, this Alan Weiss story, you know, Alan Weiss illustrated story in the back of it, this Pellucidar thing. So, you know, I, I decided, all right, well, let me check out and see where this goes. And, it, of course, it goes to Weird Worlds uh, number one which I had also seen in uh, cheap box recently. So I went back to pick that one up as well. So then I had the first two chapters and that's the whole reason I brought it to the show. Just curiosity really on the Alan Weiss part of it, you know, uh, again, you know, spurred by, by Alan's having sent me the Tarzan stuff. And I think it's interesting. I think it's fun in just kind of like a historical curiosity kind of way. And I've always been a sucker for, like lost world slash, you know, inner earth type of stories, you know, ever since I was a kid. And of course, you know, uh, King Kong to me is like the ultimate, like lost world story, but also 
um, as a kid reading about um, Admiral, I think it's Admiral Perry that did a flyover of um, Antarctica and reported that he'd seen like a, a green area with dinosaurs and shit. I've always been fascinated by that sort of thing, you know, ever since that. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so that's kind of what I expected this to be. And, I, and maybe I'm completely wrong, but everything I'd ever heard of Pellucidar, and again, I've never read a Pellucidar book or story or anything before, but I'd always had the impression that Pellucidar was supposed to be more like Skull Island. So I was a little bit disappointed in this that, yes, we do get a giant freaky looking monster, but it's not really a dinosaur. And then, you know, it, it's more about like these weird ape men and, and gorilla men and all this stuff than it is like truly like dinosaur world. And that's what I was expecting. I was expecting something more like the lost world. And we're, we're more getting like almost like conan meets planet of the apes or something it's it's kind of i don't know it's it's not bad or anything it's just i i ultimately i agree with what you said is that after two chapters and not feeling like a whole hell of a lot really happened i i'm not compelled to go further unfortunately and i like the art because i really do like alan weiss but i didn't think this was some of his strongest stuff either so but again it, it, part of that could be content i'm just you know, this really isn't my kind of bag, um, comic book wise, to begin with. So it really had to kind of jump out and grab me if it was going to grab me, and it it kind of failed to. I got to be honest. So, so you're pulling I'm the ripcord. Yeah, I'm curious what you thought, Bill. No, oh, it's gritty. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we have him here. <laughs> well, I I can see the difference between the um, the Alan Weiss. And um, the uh, oh, who did the other one? Uh, who did the other one? Which one are you talking about? Oh no, no, no! He did them both. Uh, yeah, he did them both. Yeah, I was okay. I was getting confused. I was looking at the I was getting confused with the first story with the the Tarzan. Which yeah, that's a oh yeah okay. Why why didn't they? I guess they didn't want to combine the two stories into one book. Probably page like, count issues. Yeah. Well, this was well, this was the seventies when that when they were trying to get the book count. You know, like I think they were trying to fit the, in multiple stories, and by yeah. doing that, they had to limit the number of pages you can go for each one. That's yeah, that's the impression I had. This is a little bit different, Alan Weiss, than uh, some of the other. Like it looks. Uh, it, I don't want to see. It looks I was a little less cleaner. slick. You think yeah. it looks cleaner? I think it looks less clean. Well, no, I mean, like, like I'm thinking back to that Avengers issue where a lot of things were look, like the characters look cleaner. Maybe not the whole, like, the way the actual models look. I don't know. They just look more. He was more on that though, wasn't he? See here, oh, maybe I, that is it. Okay, yeah. yeah. Here he's he's handling the art chores all himself, mm. whereas on that other one I think he had an inker. Yeah, because that event just had an odd look to it. Yeah, and I'm wondering if maybe that's my issue with this art wise is that I'm trying to remember who the hell the inker is on that Super Team family that I love so much that he did, but I, I know he had an inker on that story, and I'm thinking that that inker really kind of fleshed his stuff out a little and like smoothed it out and, and really kind of brought it together. If you know what I mean? 
mm-hmm. but I cannot remember who that was. I mean, I'm not saying I don't like this, but um, sometimes, you know, with certain artists, they're, they're better if they have an inker and they don't do the entire uh, art chore themselves. And okay, I, I you can't and Neil help. Adams. Oh, sorry. Yeah. 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 Did this, um, so the whole, this is, is this considered a hollow earth story, but differs from the warlord world or is it the same world? I don't think it's the it, same it is, world. It is not. They're, they're kind of kissing cousins. Um, mm, okay. See, all of this stuff with, with Burroughs goes way, way back. So a lot of, the latter stuff that you would get with like jungle characters is all very derivative of Tarzan and um, John Carter. I mean, has been mined to death for, you know, all kinds of stuff, including like star Wars. And Mm. then, um, you know, some of the other characters as well, you know, even, even Carson of Venus, you know, was, was influential for, you know, for other characters and stuff. So Lucidar, I think we keep seeing these because they're all in the public domain now, aren't they? Right, yeah, yeah, they are. It's you know, that's why we see movies and books. But at this time, they weren't, right? Really? I don't yeah. know. No, at this at this time they couldn't have been because that's oh, this is you why said they were DC paying the royalties. Yeah, yeah, because they were paying royalties. I these days, I'm almost positive this stuff is all. I, I could I could be wrong about that, but I, I that was my impression because I think that's why you get a Tarzan movie like every other year, you know. Because he, he's just kind of out there. I, but again, I could be wrong about that. Maybe they are. Just pants. wait until Marvel stuff goes into public. Oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> Not going to happen. I was going to look something up. What was I going to. Oh, yeah, that Super Team Family. Now I'm, I'm curious. What was that? Super Team Family. Is that number 12? No. Well, and for any of our budding paleontologists out there, a hyena don is a type of genus of the. Oh. Hyena odontodontidae, a family of extinct carniv- carnivorous fossil mammals from Eurasia, North America, and Africa. The <laughs> species is. Ex- you said Eurasia. Oh. <laughs> with species existing temporarily, temporarily, from the Eocene until the Middle Miocene, existing for about 26.1 million years, but only temporarily. It was Joe Robenstein was the he was the inker on that issue. I never would have come up with that, but now that you say it, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's all I got on this one. Um, Do we we have no cover? We have no cover to rate because the covers are not to this story, right? So I guess it would just be a matter of uh, the. The writing and the art, and then an overall. So I'm going to do art first. Um, Alan Weiss, I mean, he's he's one of those sweet spot artists for me, but he can be very hit and miss. And I, I won't say he's miss in this, but he's not as hit as he was, you know, with, with the stuff that I really hold up as, you know, the stuff that I, I discovered him with. Again, that Super Team Family issue, which is number 11, by the way, the one with uh, Supergirl, uh, The Flash, and The Atom. Uh, I love that. But he's one of those guys, and, you know, you mentioned Neil Adams. I will I will throw John Byrne out there as one of those. There are certain artists that I just think shouldn't ink themselves because they just, they, it, somehow it just doesn't work when they ink themselves. 
And uh, I'm, I'm thinking that's the case with the art here. It, again, it's not bad. It's just there's there's something off with it. It's a little, I don't know, heavy-handed. It's a little... See, and I yet know. I think this is some of the best stuff. I like this more than some of the other things I've seen of his. There are, you know, there are shots that look exceptionally good. Now, like, if you go into the Weird Worlds one, uh, well, the splash page, I'm just looking at the splash page right off the bat, uh, whatever, the the old man, he just looks silly, like the facial expression on him. Hair, yeah. Uh, but you yeah. Know, keep, keep going, and when we get to the Planet of the Apes thing, you know, the apes aren't drawn badly at all. No, they look really good. They do look really good. You know, they and, look and more like the, the apes crowd than scene, actual, like, you know, gorilla men. The crowd scene of the uh, yeah. the people, I mean, they all look fairly well, at least, you know, as far as their uh, anatomy and everything, everybody looks pretty good. The The faces don't look bad. I, I actually prefer the art in the second part than over the first. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely agree with that. Yeah, I will agree with that. That I, I think the art was much, was much better in uh, in the second chapter and in the Weird Worlds chapter. But I'll also agree with you that I preferred it in that uh, Super Team Family issue. I preferred his art there more than I like it here. And I don't remember what right. what grade I gave it then, so I may totally contradict that by giving this a higher grade. But we will see. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's it, I'm. I'm torn on the on the grade with this. I, I think I'm going to go a B minus just because I, I really do like it. I I can definitely tell it's Alan Weiss. It's just somehow it's off, and I, I believe it's off in the, in the inks. Uh, I, I think he's just he's very heavy. He's got a very thick line. He's using a lot of black uh, in the ink, and so I, I think that's what it is. It's just uh, it's it's not as not as clean somehow as what I would like, but it's not bad. And uh, like you say, I mean, the anatomy is really good and all that. Um, Story-wise, the story is really tough because, again, I don't know how loose or tight an adaptation this is. So I'm, I'm just judging it on what I'm seeing here with, with, with no familiarity with the source material at all, really. Um, right off the bat, I'm going to deduct some points for not telling me when the hell this story is be, supposed to be taking place. I'm thinking that this is like turn of the century, but there's nothing to indicate what year it's actually supposed to be. That might seem like a minor point, but it would be nice to know because I get a, a serious like steampunk vibe off of the mole machine. So I, I think just giving me you know a general era would, would kind of help place the story a little bit better um beyond that i I can't help but feel like this is rushing somehow i I don't know what the 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 pace or the content or whatever of the original story is but this seems like it's it's really flying along and it's throwing a lot of stuff at you so i don't know if they're trying to rush to do as much of of an actual Pellucidar novel in a, in a short amount of time or something. I'm not really sure, but ultimately now granted, you know, these are chapters. So, you know, it's, it's a short page count, but between both of these two chapters, I still don't think it would be enough to fill an actual comic. Like if you took both chapters together, I, I don't think you'd still have enough page count for, you know, for one complete comic. But that said, you know, with all the stuff that happens in both of these chapters, ultimately, 
I, I get to the end of it and I'm like, you know, not a whole lot really happened. I still don't really understand who everybody is and what everybody's motivations are, or what the what is at stake or what the peril is. And as Paul said, I kind of don't care. So I don't think that bodes well for how I should grade the story when after two chapters, I'm kind of like, oh, OK, well, that was fun, but I don't need to read any more of it. So. Story wise, I think I'm going to give it a I think I'm going to give it a C. It's kind of it's kind of middle of the road. It's unfortunately, it's kind of been there, done that. And I haven't even read a whole lot of stories like this, but I still it still feels very like, OK, I've I've done this before. So. Eh. So overall, between the, the art and the and the story, I'm going to say. I'll say a C plus grade wise for for the com, for the com, uh, combination of the two, just because I really like the art. I think the art is above average, but otherwise it's pretty it's pretty standard. You or me, Bill? I'll go. Um, <laughs> of course, I I jump right in and just lock right up. No, I like the art. Um, I guess more so than you a little bit, but I mean, I still think I'm just going to give it a B plus overall. I, I do think, yeah, the old guy looks kind of silly. He does look like Ganthet, but, uh, you know, he looks like just the, uh, your typical, um, crazy professor type character in a story. He like looks this. like the love child of Ganthet and, uh, and what's his name from Lord of the Rings there? The, the little, oh, Gollum. 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 Yeah. You know who he looks like to me? Who's the, who's the guy uh, that was the assistant or the mentor or whatever to Ben Casey? If you remember that show at all. I can't think of what the I guy's name Dr. was. Dr. Kildare? No, 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 no. No, no, no. That's a totally separate show. Just keep oh. doing your review. I'll, I'll see if I can find it. Oh, okay. Story-wise, um, I didn't really even realize that Edgar Rice Burroughs had done a Hollow Earth, Earth story. I did not really read a lot of his stuff. I'm vaguely familiar with, I'm more familiar with Tarzan than anything else. Um, right. But it is uh, interesting. So, mm, mm, I mean, there's a lot of story here. I mean, it's, it's not like one of those quick reads. Um, so I'm going to give the story probably a B and the art a B plus and, you know, a B, a B, a B, a B, a B, a B, a B. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yeah, that's I know that. Uh, yeah, I've seen him in. Um, yeah, he was on Star Trek. Yeah, I want to say so, but I can't picture the episode. Well, his his biggest thing is he played Gunga Din. Uh, just, just for what's worth, I looked it up, and it's Sam Jaffe, uh, who was in Gunga Din. He actually played the title role. He was in the movie The Day the Earth Stood Still. Uh, that's, that's right. Where, the yeah. doctor in The Earth Day that Stood Still. That's right, yeah. And he used to work for Mad Magazine. <laughs> but was he in Star Trek? I don't know that he was. No, I was... No, I was thinking of the day the Earth stood still. I knew he looked familiar oh. as Doctor and something. I was thinking he was a Doctor in Star Trek, but no, he was the he was the Doctor that um, that uh, Klaatu goes to. Yeah, what, what's is that his name? Klaatu. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Nick too. I was thinking yeah. of the. Uh, uh, 
the actress Patricia O'Neill. She's the one that's Patricia O'Neill. No O. Oh, I thought it was an O. I don't believe so. Patricia O'Neill. O'Neill. I think you're right. Fine. <laughs> I'm wrong. So, so Sam Jaffe is who. Uh, who the, who the doctor the doctor in this reminds me of and if I remember which I very well may not I will try and put a picture of him on the uh, the page you know our, our Facebook page when I do post this episode. Cool. Did you finish your review, Bill? Yeah, I said okay. overall a B. Oh, I didn't hear the overall. I missed that. I was too busy looking for the picture of Sam Jaffe. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I like the art, but I think I'm a little less high on it than you guys. I think you liked it just a little more than I do. Uh, I just feel like it's sinking closer to average than I would expect Weiss to do. Uh, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna give it a C plus on the art. I'm gonna say it's better than average, but it's not as good as what I expect from him. And part of that may not be his fault, as as I was saying. Part of it may just be that they're trying to cram a lot of a lot of events, even though you know you, you talked about how like not that much happened, and I'm not disagreeing with you, but it's such a short page count that even without a lot of events, there's still a lot crammed into the short page count. Uh, so I think he he might have been uh, hampered a little bit by that, uh, but I'm I'm going to say a C plus on the artwork. The story wise, ultimately the bottom line is it didn't it didn't entice me to want to read more. Uh, and I think a right. story of this type of fantastical nature should. So the fact that it didn't is making me think it's, you know, and I'm, I'm totally unfamiliar with the source material, but knowing that it's Edgar Rice Burroughs, I'm thinking it has to be better than what, what I'm reading here, quite frankly. So I'm going to give it a C minus because right. I think it let me down. Uh, and I'm going to give this overall a C. Just just looking oh. at this on in the uh, Korak Son of Tarzan one, the fourth page of the story in the upper right panel, uh, it's a long shot of the two uh, main characters talking. And then in the foreground, you see there's like some mini horses running by. And the lack of detail in those horses really, I find bothersome. Do you see what I'm talking about? Um, they almost look like here. a cave drawing to me. Hmm. Right. I, I, where, they're att- where they're attacking the beast thing? Is that what you're talking about? Uh, well, it's just before the uh, the giant uh, bear rat comes out. Uh, but at the top, upper upper right panel. Oh, yes. Okay, yes. All right, little, yeah. little horse creatures I, yeah, I running by in the foreground. Right. I, I just feel like the, the lack of detail there is, like I said, it bothers me. It just it, like if you if you're gonna draw them like that, then don't draw them at all. Yeah, they almost look like they're translucent or something. Yeah, it's like I said, they weird. almost look like a cave drawing to me. Yeah. So that's that's my take on this one. Uh, so we'll move on from this book, and I guess we'll do mine next, which is the Marvel, and I brought. Creatures on the Loose, number 32, which originally had Scott all excited until he looked and saw that it's drawn <laughs> by George Tusca and not George Perez. Wrong George. Tonight, 
They're uh, on the loose. Da -da -dun, da -da -dun. No, has my Yeah, well, I think we could have some talk on that as we go along. Uh, anyway, <laughs> the, the cover, which I think is pretty sharp, uh, is drawn by uh, John Romita Sr. And then when I looked it up, it said uh, on the Marvel uh, Wiki, it said cover artist John Romita and Dan Danny Crespi. Now, I'm familiar with the name Danny Crespi, but I couldn't have told you offhand what he drew, what he did, or why, you know, why I'm even familiar I, with the name. I remember hearing that name a few times. Sounds familiar. Yeah. That's what I was just thinking. Uh, and when I looked him up, it turns out he, he wasn't, he was not an inker. He was a, uh, a letterer. So oh, he must okay. have done the lettering on this, and Ramita must have inked himself, which uh -huh. which makes sense as I look at it. And it has uh, the man-wolf engaged in a battle with Craven the hunter, and Craven is behind him with the uh, man-wolf's head in uh, kind of a headlock, and then he's holding his other arm, so he's pretty much got him, you know, in, in a... Uh, chokehold. Yeah, and kind of in a chokehold, and they're atop what looks to be an arch by the water... And then there's a crowd milling down below on the roadway, or the walkway, actually, uh, that they, they're looking up at, at the this action scene. It's got a kind of a blue background with the moon. It, it's a pretty sharp cover, if you ask me. It, it is a really good cover. I was going to ask you, is this, this is the tip of the island, right, where that little fort is? Is that where this is? Where the little what is? You mean fjord? So at the, no, no, no. This This is at the tip of... Of Manhattan Island, right? So this is... I would think it would have to be. Isn't there to like be a little water fort? like this? Mm. Isn't there like a fort or something? Like oh, a, yeah, like a uh, Oh, a fort. Oh. It's uh, like by Grant's tomb. Uh, Who's or, buried or, in Grant's tomb? Yeah, it's, it's an area I've, I've actually never been to. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, oh, okay. I think you're, you're, you're right about that. Uh so the story is written by Tony Isabella. The art is by George Tusca, inked by everybody's favorite, Vince Coletta. And this, this one, I'll, I'll tell you in particular, I think this one is a, it's a lesson on what we complain about for Vince Coletta, this particular issue. Yes. <laughs> and, and I'll make yes, a point of, of mentioning it a couple of times. Now, you know, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit before I even get into the synopsis here, because uh, Vince Coletta, you know, one of our primary complaints about Vince Coletta is in the for the sake of expediency, he would actually erase details that Jack Kirby put in because Jack Kirby gave extremely detailed pencils. In this particular case, I can kind of figure out what went on, and I think George Tuska gave him some very rough pencils, and rather than embellish it and give it a little bit more detail, he pretty much inked what he was given, and a lot of the pictures just cry out for detail and don't have them. And I'll, yeah. I'll talk yeah. more as we go through it a little bit. But the story is titled yeah. Moon of the Hunter, and it opens up with the man-wolf down on the street in, in like an alleyway, and he's looking up at a uh, window. And the window he's looking into is that of uh, Christine Saunders, who is John Jameson, the man-wolf's alter ego's fiancé. And they have kind of a, uh, 
a, a yin and yang thing going here where if it's something John Jameson cares about, then the man wolf hates it. So it's John's fiance, so the man wolf hates her. And then they, we got up to her, her uh, in her, I guess, in her apartment, looking down at the, looking out at the night, and she's sitting and dreaming about John Jameson, who right off the bat now I'll, I'll talk a little bit here. We have a little bit of a montage sequence, and first of all, as drawn there, John Jameson looks nothing like the John Jameson I've seen anywhere else in the years that he's been around. Secondly, the artwork especially in the scene where they show like a transformation. Uh, they show five different faces of him transforming from John Jameson to the man wolf. And the last panel, or actually kind of the last two panels uh, are just terrible. They, they really just look like a joke to me, quite frankly. So we have a recap of how uh, Spider-Man ripped the moonstone off of him back in Spider-Man number 125. And that, that, resulted in him not being the man wolf anymore but that in giant size superstars number one morbius returned the pendant to him so that he could be the man wolf again so anyway he's he's looking he's ready to attack uh, christine when from behind he's attacked by craven the hunter and we have a splash page with a really 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 beefy looking craven the hunter holding the man wolf from behind with a garret and kind of lifting him into the air with it. And again, this is another one where it just cries out for detail that doesn't exist. It cries out for embellishment that isn't there. Uh, and, and the inking of Craven's body in particular, I, I don't know what, I don't know what Vince Coletta was thinking, frankly. It just looks terrible to me. Anyway, uh, the two battle, the man wolf kind of flips Craven over him, but Craven lands on his feet, and they can they continue to battle. Uh, man wolf slashes Craven's face, but does not leave any marks on it at all, which is surprising. Uh, the police come to the scene, and Craven uh, makes like a tree and gets out of there. Uh, the man wolf engages the police in some battle, but then <laughs> runs off and reverts back to John Jameson. He collapses onto his couch and then calls a friend of his, Ralph Sarson, who's a research scientist for NASA, who apparently is aware of John's lifting of the pendant uh, and I guess maybe is doing research for him. John has a little bit of a hissy fit in his uh, apartment and then he collapses and falls asleep on his couch. We cut to J. Jonah Jameson, who is lamenting everything and looking out his window and cursing Spider-Man, who just happens to be swinging by at the moment. Uh, then we go back out to John, who's walking in Manhattan in the moonlight, because every character who has a wolf curse that turns into a werewolf with the full moon just goes out willy-nilly with the full moon. <laughs> you now, know, let me go for a stroll. Yeah, because it's not going to affect you this time. I mean, just how stupid. Anyway, he uh, he turns into the man-wolf again. Uh, Craven appears immediately, throws some polka-dotted smoke bombs at him. And 
knocks knocks him out and then carries him off and he brings him to some sort of a uh, facility where he chains him up and then he turns back into John Jameson and apparently Craven was aware of this all along and we know that he was hired by somebody to do this hmm who could it be anyway mm. That's pretty much the those end of the story. Coming your way next dot. issue, Safari. And guess who's the hunted? Those aren't polka dot smoke bombs. They're cheetah smoke bombs. They're stupid. <laughs> stupid. I, 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 really? I'm assuming that it's J. Jonah Jameson that hired him? You think? Who else has a history of... Who, who else would want him and so that he doesn't do damage to people? You know, it's somebody who hired him with noble in, noble intentions of a sort for J. Jonah. Mm-hmm. And then there's a short story in, in the back of this, you know, one of the old horror stories. And it's a, like a three-page story just to fill this out because this particular story is a little short. Uh, I have a copy of this one. I don't remember when or where I got it, but it's missing the... Uh, the uh, Marvel stamp inside, it's cut out of it. So that bothers me. The Marvel value stamp. Ah. Uh. So, I like this series. The Marvel value stamp is uh, Mr. Fantastic, by the way. Yeah. No, it's not in my book. <laughs> in my book, it's a, it's the Invisible Girl. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Did somebody say Mr. Fantastic? Yeah, I was surprised Mr. you didn't Fantastic. go to Soul. <laughs> Mr. Lava Lava. Okay. Anyway, uh, I like this series. And I don't even think I dislike this issue at all. Except the artwork just really does bother me. I am, as anybody who listens to this enough knows, not a big George Tuska fan. But I do think with the right anchor, his art is presentable and adequate. But you put Vince Coletta and his rushing through it ways on this, and he's not making any effort to actually make it better. And it's a it's a formula for disaster artwork wise. Yeah, those two pages six and seven with the fight. Oh, that's just bad. No detail. I, fat fat crazy. I think this. I think this is an excellent testament to this character that he could survive such a shit issue art-wise. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> the art in this is absolutely terrible. Yet, I really like the issue. So, again, I think it's a testament to, you know, you know he's, he's a good character. And I think the story is good. I think Craven is used to good effect, you know, which doesn't really happen all that often. It's it's really it's the art in this one that that really hurts that and you know the the dumb moment that you pointed out where you know John knows I mean it's not like he's unaware of what he does he, it's not like he's unaware that he becomes a, a man wolf a werewolf for all intents and purposes it's not as if he's unaware that he actually murders people when he's the werewolf and then you know he makes no effort to 
lock himself away or get locked up or, or get help or anything. He just takes a nap and then goes out for an evening stroll knowing full goddamn well that there's going to be a full moon that night becomes the werewolf again. So it's like, dude, are you just stupid? <laughs> You'd have to be. And he's an astronaut. You think you have to have a level of intelligence right? to be an astronaut? You would uh, think. Yeah, he's a regular rocket scientist, right? <laughs> <laughs> Unreal. I've got I mean, some that, notes on this. I don't know if anybody else does, but I, I do have a couple of things on this one. Well, I, I mean, I commented on most of the things I had while I was going through it. You know, just most of my comments are the artwork because I, I found the story to be engaging and, and enjoyable uh, overall. And it's, but but the artwork is just to me, it's 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 embarrassing. Mm. Yes, it is. Yeah. What was the what was the dude's name again that uh, worked on the cover with Ramita? Danny Crespi. Crespi. So do do the letters do they come up with the cover copy as well? Do you know, or is that up to the writer or somebody? I think they're told what to put there. I mean, I don't think they actually think of it on their own. But I don't know that because I'm wondering. I'm wondering who's to blame for this cover copy because. While I agree with you, it is an awesome cover. I really like this cover. But it does say, in the clutches of Spider-Man's fiercest foe, Craven the Hunter, I think the word you're grasping for is lamest. I've never liked Craven the Hunter. I don't think he's lamest. He's pretty lame, At this point in time, I don't think the public sentiment was that he was lame. I think he was he was a really? fairly popular villain. Oh, okay. Hey, I mean, I don't, think he, was, I don't of... think he was ever the uh, the fiercest foe. I think that's a little bit of uh, what they call puffery. But right, you know. But <laughs> I, I do think I don't think I don't think people thought he was particularly lame either. Hey, it was the seventies. Not many people could pull off that lion shirt. I, 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 I wore one of those every weekend. I wore that out to the disco with your with, with your Craven style hair and mustache. You should you should cosplay as him, Paul. He actually he looks a little bit like you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Toro the Hunter. <laughs> I thought we were friends. Yeah, you just trim All up right. that goatee a little bit. You'd be Craven the Hunter. Hey, I got the full winter beard going. <laughs> Page one had me questioning right off the bat. Whatever happened to Christine Saunders? Because she's part of his saga right up through when he gets, you know, quote unquote, cured in Spectacular Spider-Man Annual Number Three, and then I think she just disappears from his life after that. So whatever happened to her? That's a good question. I'll research it. Because when she comes, or when, or rather, not when she comes back, when he comes back, when John Jameson comes back later in Captain America, I don't think he's married, and I don't think that she's around anymore. So something happened in the interim, but I don't know if we're ever privy to that. I just don't remember. No, uh, I, think, Pete, I, I don't know what happened to her either, but perhaps Bill will be able to solve that mystery right? for us. Says eleven appearances, so it looks like she didn't really. 
What do you mean? That's all of them? Um, That's all, folks. Yeah. One, two, three. (laughs) Amazing Spider-Man, Giant Size Heroes, Creatures on the Loose. She'll be from... From this point forward, she'll be in 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, then Marvel Premiere 46, and it looks like the last one is Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man Annual, uh, Volume 1, Number 3. Oh, that's the one with the split of um, him on the cover, with half of them is the Man-Wolf, half of them is John J. Jameson in, in his outfit. This was in September of 81. And right, also an Alan White story. Yes, an Alan White cover. Which is what Scott was saying, that she, he's, okay. she's there with him through that one. And then she's yep. gone. Yeah. So I don't I don't know whatever happened to her. Um, page two, the last picture of the transformation from John to the man-wolf. Um, all I got to say about that is, speaking of hyena dons, <laughs> he, looks, he looks like he's laughing. You know, he, look, he looks like Fruit Brute. Yes, he does. Oh, my God. I forgot about Fruit Fruit. Yes, he does look like Fruit Fruit. <laughs> oh, God. The art is it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. But uh, to me, one of the worst ones was uh, was page 10. Is he man-wolf or is he man-puppy? Because look, look at the look on his face in that last panel where he's being heaved by uh, by Craven. He just he looks like a puppy. He just wonder if you want to scratch his neck. I do. I just want to pat his head. Oh, she yeah. did make recent uh, comic. And oh, when I did? mean, yes, but it was a recap, so it must have been a flashback. Because I guess uh, was John Jameson a member of the Agents of Wakanda? Agent Manwolf uh, slash Targa, John Jameson. He's one of the Agents of Wakanda. I know he still pops up from time to time because I know he was part of the Cap Wolf story. I, I do believe I mean, he was Cap's like chauffeur or something for a time there. I remember him flying Cap around on missions or something like that. He was his like his pilot. Yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff pilots. recently. Absolute Carnage. I, I guess he was in that. Wasn't he? I think he was engaged to. Uh, to She-Hulk at one point, or he was banging her or something yeah, like that. I, 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 well, but who wasn't? Take a number. That's yeah. true, too, yeah. Next. Oh, sorry. Uh, my last note for this one, page 11, fourth panel. That bitch has crazy eyes. Look at her. She's yeah. frightening. Which page? Page 11. Right. Page 11, fourth panel. Actually, the second panel is kind of crazy, oh, too. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she's not I've right. seen that look many a times. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Is that, that a wire hanger? Are your clothes on a wire hanger? <laughs> <laughs> that pa- that panel on page 14, the next to last panel of of uh, Craven swinging is flat ridiculous. He looks like a kid on a swing set. Spider Craven, Spider Craven, <laughs> Spider. What? Oh. Zing, zing. No, like I said before, though, I think it's a testament to this character that he can he can weather this because I love this character. I you know, it, it occurs to me that I actually I'm pretty sure I have every um, every man wolf 
from his initial appearance up through when he gets cured in uh, in Spectacular Annual Number Three. I don't know that I've ever read them sequentially, though. I think I just read them like as I collected them as a kid, as I found the different issues. But I don't know if I've ever sat and read the whole chapter like sequentially. I need to. I need to do that one of these days because it gets weird. I mean, he ends up going into space and becomes the the Star what God, do the Wolf Lord, or something. No, I think it's, I think Star- had. I think it's like Star Lord or Star Go- not Star Lord, Star Guard. I, Star God. Star God. Yeah. I think Bill's right. Star God, is that what they call them? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, Mar- that was in, what was it, Marvel Premiere? I think yeah. so. I yeah. just, actually, I just acquired those. Not long, I mean, within like the past year or so, I got those. <laughs> Sorry, I just realized that Craven did a line from, uh, oh, yeah. Craven doesn't get himself backed into corners. Nobody backs Craven in a corner. <laughs> <laughs> Well, also, did he's you referring to himself in the third the very, person. The very last page, the the first panel on the very last page, take you know, it's it's that full like upper half of the page. Did you notice how weird the dialogue balloons are here? It goes from the one at the top of the page where it says "Growl all you want, man wolf," and then it goes down through the chain of of dialogue balloons and then back over to the left corner again. And it's like, what, what the hell kind of order is that for your word balloons to go in? It's all over the place. They're not following like a logical. I mean, this is like golden age comics. When you look at the way the, the word balloons are laid out here. I mean, have they not learned anything in 40 years of putting out comics that you don't do this anymore? Especially this particular panel. There's so much, space that you could put the word balloons in there's no reason to have them kind of thrown willy-nilly all over the place right and you you could i mean you could break it down to more panels too i mean there's only four panels on the whole damn page if you've got that much dialogue and it's tough to follow it's then break it down more why couldn't you have put it in order from left to right i mean it's not like anybody else is speaking except craven (laughs) right yeah (laughs) he's just going rawr rawr Rawr, I do love it though. I love it. I just hate the art, but I I do like the story. Even even with it being stupid craven, I still like it. I just I do I love the man wolf. I've always loved this character. Yeah, I well, believe I gave you a hero click man wolf figure long ago. You still have that? I still have it. Okay. I still have it. Did you ever My find the big the big one? Uh, no, big no. I know there there was one. They put out they put out a figure. I forget what series it was. I don't think it was it Marvel was the, Legends. Yeah, it was but but it was that size. It was those. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a Spider-Man series they put out and they put out a I couldn't believe it. They put out a figure of the man. I even had it in my hand at one point. I was like, "Oh my god, they did a figure of the man." Well, and then I didn't buy it. Like a dumbass. I should have got it. So I could sit around and collect dust with all the other shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my only question for Paul is uh you couldn't pick one issue higher? No, but then we'd be complaining about Klaus Janssen's inking of Perez, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just I'm just busting your balls. 
But no, the next the next issue is uh, the first uh, the first Perez, and ooh, you can tell too. It's I mean, it's early, early, early Perez. It's rough. It's good, but it's rough. But that's also Jansen. His he his style is to make things look rough. But it depended on who he was with, because I've, I've often said uh, the Klaus Jansen inks on Sal Buscema's work on some of the early Defenders issues is among my favorite Sal Buscema work. And, and I, yeah. I, 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 agree with, I never I, I liked attribute a lot Jansen. of Jansen. Yeah. I never liked Klaus Jansen ever until I discovered that early Defenders stuff with him over uh, Buscema. That's, that's what finally changed my mind. Because I, I discovered Jansen with, uh, with Miller Daredevil. And I was never all that enamored of, of Miller to begin with. And I remember when Honeywell, when we were kids, when he discovered that and he really got into Daredevil and he kept trying to get me into it. And I'm like, dude, the art sucks. And then when Miller left and it was just Jansen, I was like, wow, this is really sh- just shit. I just didn't like it at all. So I never thought I would have nice things to say about Jansen. But I love that uh, that early Defender stuff that they did together, uh, Buscema and Jansen. But yeah, it's it, it totally you know it, it's all dependent on who he's teamed with, and I yeah I don't think him and Perez are a good are a good fit because Perez just you know he's got a very clean style you know um, I, I call it like the clean bubbly style, and that's not Jansen's style at all. His is more that that angular, you know. But I don't know. He, he was a good fit for uh, for Bissena though. Yeah. So, but this isn't a uh, a, a, Jensen, a Jensen book anyway. So we'll move back to uh, to this issue, and I guess I'll, I'll give it its rating. Uh, I'm gonna give the cover. Frankly, I'm giving the cover an A. I, I, I really think this is a very very sharp picture. It's John Romita Senior, who, whose work I just love, and and it's him. As, you know, this this is just. Great stuff, I think, and it's it's compelling. It makes me want to pick up the the book, so no question at all there. I, I think the cover's an A. Uh, the story is entertaining. It's a little silly, but it's entertaining, and uh, I'm I'm kind of cool with it. I think you know it makes Craven seem tough, uh, and and a you know a worthy foe for the Man Wolf. Uh, so I'm going to give the story a B, and the art is it, it it hurts my soul looking at it i don't want to give it an <laughs> f cuz it's not it's it's not you know where i can't tell what's going on i just think it's bad uh so i'm going to give it a d minus the lowest i can give it without giving it an f and overall i will give this book uh, a c plus uh it would be much higher except for the artwork hmm. um I think I'm also going to go an A on the cover. I really, really like this cover. Um, one of the things I really like about it is that you can tell where it is. And I think that that's really neat when, when they can place it that way. And this really cool effect. And I, and I've seen this in real life. The effect of the, now actually that's got to be the moon. I was thinking it was the sun, but either way, either the sun or the moon reflecting on the water. Now, back during this time, before all the digital effects they could do and all the digital coloring and all, to get this effect 
from just the four color process is pretty damn impressive, but it's really neat. I like that effect of the, of the light on the water. And I just think it looks really cool. I, I think it's a really great cover. It's dynamic. Uh, I love the, the pencils and the inks. It's colored really well. It's a, it's just an all around great cover. I, I totally agree with you. Um, story wise, um, it's a, it's a really good chapter. I think it makes really good use of a villain that I have virtually no respect for. It kind of makes me like him, you know, in this because he's used to good effect. Um, I mean, this is the kind of guy you, if you're going to hunt down, uh, the man wolf to capture him, then you would want to get somebody that was a hunter and that's supposed to be what Craven's all about. So I, I like that he's, he's used to good effect in here. Although, again, some of the ridiculous dialogue that he gives is a little bit much. You know, the, you know, this is a blow that would stop a charging elephant and all these ridiculous claims that he makes. I'm like, if you're really that tough, then how come you get your ass handed to you by Spider-Man every single time you guys tussle? If you've really got elephant punch as one of your powers, you know, but anyway. In fact, that's um, what they should call it. So story-wise, I'm going to give him elephant yeah, I mean, punch. Gonna give you such a punch? <laughs> what was the, just thinking of was, uh, hey Doc, that's an elephant gun. Why don't you go get hunt an elephant? You better not! <laughs> I give you such a pinch. <laughs> the elephant comes over, puts one hand on on Elmer's head, and punches down with the other one and drives him, he into, drives the him into the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to our regular the, uh... scheduled review. <laughs> the only other thing that really makes me want to take some serious points off, though, is is I'm so glad that somebody else besides me caught this. I'm glad that Paul caught it right in his synopsis. What what business has this guy got after he takes his little nap to go out for a stroll at dusk? I'm like, are you mental? I, I just that's the part of the story that almost law. I mean, it actually threatened to kind of ruin the story for me. I'm like. What what are you doing? You are a mental case. <laughs> a mental case, yeah, exactly. I mean that it's just ridiculous that he would do that. But you know, I'll, I'll forgive it because it's still. I mean, it's still fun. It's still a really good story. Um, so overall, grade wise on the story, uh, I think I'm going to go a B plus. I really like this. I, I would go higher probably, but yeah, it. it it loses a little bit for just, you know, for John not having a whole lot of brains in that one sequence. Uh, art wise. Yeah. I, you know, like we say, can't give it an F cause I, at least I can follow it. I can understand what's going on. It just looks terrible. Um, so I reserve F's for when I just look at it and go, I can't, I can't follow this. I can follow it. So I'm going to follow, uh, Paul with uh, with a D minus because it's it's awful. I just uh, I don't see a single panel or anything in here that that is that I, I don't think is just crap. And I already don't like Tuska. Sorry, George Tuska, but I just don't like Tuska. I think he's I think he's bargain basement workman, if you know what I mean. And then to pair him with freaking Vinnie Coletta. And I, you know, I have tried to give Coletta a break over the years, especially you know, ever since I read there's a there's a Tomorrow's book out there. I can't remember the name of it, but there's a Tomorrow's book 
that's actually a damn good read. That's all. It's all about Vinnie Coletta. Something like the Thin Line, or something like yeah, that. yeah, something like that. Yeah, and it's and it's a. I, I thought it was a really fascinating read. It's it's done as kind of a defense of Vinnie Coletta, and it kind of swayed me a little bit in my opinion of the man. But then I see this, and I'm just like, you know, I'm sorry, dude. I feel for your, your for your plight and your situation, but at the end of the day, you earned the rep that you have with shit like this. Because, I mean, not only did he hatchet job an artist that already sucks, but then he, he adds nothing to this at all. And, I mean, there's so much of this that it's almost like a damn coloring book. You know what I mean? It, it's mm-hmm. it's that it's that low uh, art wise. There there's no dynamism in it. There's no detail in it. It's just let's slap this shit together and get it out on the stands. And oh, such a shame. I'm just I'm just so glad that this didn't kill this character because I I really love the character. So, but anyway, uh, overall grade for the whole book. Um, even with the shit art on this, I mean, just between that awesome cover and, and the story that I really like, I, I'm still going to grade it fairly. I'm still going to say like a, I think it'll go a B minus because I still really like it. It's, it's despite that art, it still grades really high for me. So there you go. Ah, oh, you guys talk so much. I don't know if I really have anything to add as usual. I was afraid <laughs> uh, to fall asleep. No, no, no. No, that never happens. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, until you mentioned that about the about the color with with the light of the moon, I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah, that is a pretty cool trick at this this time in in the comics medium to to pull that off. Um uh, I think it's funny that there's like the little motion lines on the man wolf's feet. Like the craven has lifted him off the ground. And he's like, eh, little legs are flailing because he's going to rip them up with them claws if he catches him. But it does those those little like dancer shoes that, you know, it looks like Craven's a ballerina he's with doing, them shoes he's wearing. He's doing the Flintstones thing. Going, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So. <laughs> <laughs> Twinkle Toes Man Wolf. He's <laughs> uh, not bowling. <laughs> nice and slow, see? Nice and slow. Um, so I'm going to give the cover an A. Uh, the story, I like the Man Wolf. Some of it is, doesn't really make you know sense. You'd think he would know, like, yeah, you know, like you guys said, maybe I shouldn't go outside and into the moonlight. Ah, no, I'll go out. It'll be fine. Yeah, I'll be okay. I'm all right. Hey, moonlight. Nope. So, story-wise, I will give it a B. And, oh. Uh, hmm. Yeah. I guess a D, C minus D. So overall, puts it in the B category for Demand Wolf. So B for Big Bad Wolf, <clears throat> Big Bad Benny, BB Wolf, BB Wolf. So do we have time for a third book? 
Yes. Uh, oh, we do? Speaking okay. of the wolf. Huh? I said all does time. Huh? Yeah, yeah, I know. There's some serendipity here. Because not only that, you guys have been... Sarah, uh, Serendipity? Yeah, I think I went to school with her. Oh. I've got a wolf. I got an indie. I got a book. But it's funny because there's a lot of uh, weird coincidences because we've been talking about Klaus Janssen. Klaus Janssen is the penciler in this book. I mentioned this book to bring to the show, and then Scott's like, "What? I've never heard of Wolf the Barbarian." And what did you What did you then see? Not near minutes later. <laughs> so I was reading an issue of Back Issue Magazine. And I got to the bottom of the page that I was reading at the moment, and there was a mention of Wolf the Barbarian. And it was kind of weird and disconcerting. I'm like, I went from never having heard it before Bill mentioned it to there it is on the page that I was actually reading at the time. So, yeah, that was that was weird. Jansen is the inker, by the way, on this issue, not, uh, not the penciler. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, that's all right. Le- 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 I, I, I only, I only, yeah, I only point that out because I was stunned to find out that uh, supposedly, anyway, according to the credits, that this is Larry Hama. Not only didn't I know that he was ever an artist, but I'm looking at this going, dude, if you could do this, why were you writing shit like Star Wars number? I think it was 48. That's wasn't terrible. Larry Hama at Eternal Con when we were there? If I remember correctly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He, yeah, he did an he intro that. to the show. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Wait, he yeah. did an intro as well. I thought it was Bob Larkin. He did one also. Oh, okay. I haven't he heard, I haven't heard that one in a while. Okay. Well, you know what? Listen to this episode. Hi, this is Larry Hama, and you're listening to Back to the Bins. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, from the defunct atlas comics but you scott told me pointed out that i guess that it did a minor comeback in the what 2011 yeah i didn't i had no idea you found out you uh apparently there was a little bit of a relaunch and it looks like it's mixed in with modern times too so i'll have to look at that later but for here, uh, this came out in 1975. I want to say, what was it, February? Is the Indicia? Yeah, February 1975 issue, yeah. Yeah, and I think this was coming out bi-monthly, too, back then. So the next one would be two months later, I think in April. So, But um, I actually have a nice little quick synopsis that uh, I did not write. It's actually from the Atlas Archive. It says, On a nameless world in a forgotten time, there lived a man called Wolf. Wolf? Wolf? It's W-L-F, not W-O. Wolf. 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 Orphaned ten years ago when his parents, the king and queen, were slain in an ambush, staged by trolls in service of an evil sorcerer. Wolf has spent the last decade training for the day he would return to claim his birthright. After his trainer mentor is killed by the same troll who killed his mother ten years earlier, Wolf avenges his mother's death, reclaims his father's sword from the slain troll, and begins his long-awaited trip home as Wolf rides homeward with the intent to raise an army to raid the evil sorcerer's lair and free his hereditary kingdom, 
he encounters many magic-induced obstacles conjured by his foe. And that's a down and dirty, but as I was reading this, I was like, you know what? I've seen this movie plenty of times. <laughs> I, this, it's, a, it's a timeless tale you've seen before. It, one, one of the first movies that popped into my head was, um, was the movie Dune. Because I was seeing Patrick Stewart as the role of the juggler slash trainer. Remember when he played Gurney Halleck? He was the trainer of uh, of uh, Duke uh, Duke Trady. Well, Ellington. Yeah, Duke Ellington. Yeah. No, no. Well, what's his name? <laughs> oh man, I can't. How can I never? Well, I'm. I I wanted to say his name in Dune, which is more deep. Oh, what the hell was the son's name in Dune? I know people. People are out there yelling on it's blah blah blah. It's not Leto. Leto was a father's name. Uh-huh. Oh, I have to confess, anyway. I've How never do you seen Dune. You never seen? I've read Dune. Oh, okay, I read the first one hundred pages of Dune. Uh-huh. But I got I got tired of flipping back to the encyclopedia in the black in, in the back, going, "What the hell is a hat rack Cuisinart? What? What? I'm so confused." So anyway, uh. The art style, what? What are you snickering at? You laughing at me. you, man? You, you and you and your synopsis. Man. I'm not going to synopsize. I already told you what happened. I'm going through the book now. I did the synopsis. Basically, you know, we we get a flashback halfway through the book that tells what happened when he was a kid. His parents were killed. You know, we saw that in Conan the Barbarian. I mean, there were so many movies I, I was seeing just popping in my head as I was reading through, through this book. But I do have to say, so if this is Larry Hama on the pencils, this is some really good stuff. I mean, I'm unless Klaus, Klaus well, Jansen is that good of an anchor. I think this shows you where, where Jansen actually can work well as an anchor. This yes. book is suited to his style. Mm. Right. And And... Hama's art is suited to his style as well. It's a combination of both. So yeah, I, I, you know, I do, I do feel. Uh, although I have to say, it's a little, it's a little less. Well, now I got to take that back. For the most part, it's a little less dark than what I usually see from uh, Jansen when he inks. Uh, there right. are there's occasional panels where it, where it goes into the darkness that I expect from him, but. Overall, this book is brighter than the story isn't so much brighter, but the artwork is uh, than what I'm used to from Jansen. What are you trying to say? I mean, it's really cheerful. Nope. <laughs> and oh, yes. And of course, the troll that killed his uh, mother, whose nickname the Grinner, I guess because he's missing so many teeth. He's, of course, is the one that's being sent to kill him now, 10 years later. And of course, he has the sword that belonged to his father with him, so he's able to get that back from him. Um, and he's got Nick Fury. He's got, uh, what is this? Dorstravos, <laughs> Dorkin, Schmorkin, Forkin, Trolls, Troll Killer? St- Stavro Darkoven, the Troll Slayer. So, but yeah, he's Nick Fury on horseback. But, yeah, that's one thing. This um, is that everybody has a three-part name, whereas a one-part name would work just fine. Like like Mordek, for example. You know, Mordek, uh, Mamorak, Moriak. Yeah, uh, yeah. When Wolf swears vengeance on him, it's like 
okay, just just Mordek is fine. You don't need you know these other. So yeah, that what was Wolf's a, full name. I don't even uh, remember him saying his full Stein. Name. What Wolf and but I'm batch. What's her? Yeah, Wolf Blitz. <laughs> Three five nine. Yeah, <laughs> the young yeah because so they the just same. say he's Wolf, but um, he doesn't really have the full name. Like his mother is the Lady Lenore, his dad's the Lord Wolfgar Thane of Baronholm and Master of Castle Silver. Blah 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 blah. So here's the thing with this though. I, what do you got, I like this a lot. I really did. I, I was stunned that I did because I've read a good number of Atlas comics over the years, and generally they suck. And I was actually really kind of stunned that I liked this as much as I did. Is it derivative? Yes. Did yeah, I know exactly where the story was going? Yes. I predicted that Nick Fury was not going to make it out of this issue alive, and he didn't. And uh, well, that's that's always the that's always the hero's journey. You have to have the mentor die for in order for the for the hero to move on to progress. Right, exactly. Yeah, but I mean, I saw it coming from a mile away that you know what was going to happen to him and everything, and and it did. Um, but it, it, it also did some interesting original things, or at least I, I felt like they were slightly original. You know, the fact that the whole reason that this character exists is because of what happened to his mom and dad. And so, of course, he, you know, he vows vengeance and everything. And he actually gets it right here in the very first <laughs> issue. That was kind of different. I didn't see that coming. I thought that would be that would be the story is him going on his hero's journey to avenge his, his parents' death. And maybe we would see it, maybe we wouldn't see it. But to see it, you know, before the conclusion of the very first, well, issue, first issue, it's like, yeah, yeah it's kind of like, whoa, all right, he, all right, well, done, you know. Well, there, he's got more to do because now not only did he want to do, you know, get the guy that actually killed them, but he wants to now go get the sorcerer that sent the guy to kill his parents too. So, I mean, there is a bigger, exactly. So there's still a bigger mission going on, but still just the fact that he got the guy that actually, you know, killed his mom, that he watched murder his mother. I was, I was kind of stunned by that. I'm like, all right, that's original or, you know, so far as I'm aware, I've, I've never seen that before. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, more than anything, I mean, the, the story, yeah, it's, it's it's extremely derivative, but it's well told. Um, but I was more really stunned by the art. I, I'm, I don't recall ever having seen something drawn by Hama before. I always think of Larry Hama as a writer, and I got to be honest, not a particularly good one. So to see that he's capable of this artwork, I'm like, dude, what? <laughs> Why weren't you doing this? So I, I'm, I'm really impressed. I mean, the the one panel that really jumps out to me is, uh, well, the pages aren't numbered, but uh, where Nick Fury's got Wolf on it on the back of his horse, and they charge the line. And it's yeah. where, um, what's his name, Stavro 
is, you know, making his threats against the trolls and all that, you know, as the horse rears up and, and, you know, they start their ride. That's incredible. Especially, you know, usually horses are hard to draw. Right. And that's, that's, that's like a horse jumping over like a steeple. And it looks, it looks good. It doesn't look, uh, you know, funky. It is really good. I refer you it to the mini really horses good. in our first book. Right. And how bad they were. <laughs> But I mean, that, that particular shot looks to me like a combination of like, like say like Neil Adams and Mike Grell. It's somewhere between the two of them, and that's high praise. So I'm I'm really really impressed with the artwork, and you know, there's actually a lot of this that uh, that I I found very Grell like. Well, uh, I, I was impressed. Yeah, because if you look at, I mean, actually. Was it Stavros um, or Stavro um, with the eye patch could look kind of like, uh, well, I guess he doesn't. Oh, like, uh, oh, I'm blanking now because that wasn't who I was thinking. I was thinking he looks like Green Arrow, and it went, but uh, he looks more, that's not what I meant. He looks more like um, Deathstroke. Deathstroke, yeah. yeah, yeah, especially yeah. when he's aged, when yeah. he's older. But um, it, you know what we we even get the whole thing of where the the master is training the student about catching the swords, and that comes into play when he takes out the troll. Yeah, because he's like, you know, oh, you have to be able to catch all three, and 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 the troll's doing the thing, flipping the knife like bat bat back and forth. They're like, oh, I'm gonna kill you. Which hand am I gonna kill you? Oh. Dead. Gotcha. He turns into Tasmanian Devil. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do have a question here. Mm -hmm. On the second page, when Wolf comes strolling up to uh, Stavro as he's juggling, there's this asshole in the background that's making a joke, and he he says, tell me, he says, uh, what is it that has three eyes and hobbles around on five legs? And I didn't get. I mean, obviously he's taunting Stavro by saying yeah, I get it either. He's missing an eye, but what's the five? I don't get it. So I, I don't get it three either. Three eyes because it? because Wolf has both his eyes, and then Stavro has one eye because he's you know he's got the eye patch. But then the if you put the three of them together, or the oh sorry, the because them, Stavro has a crutch. If you look at the bottom of the panel on the left, the bottom oh, panel all right. on the page, I get, okay. they only I have three that, eyes and yeah. five legs because he has a crutch. All right. Yeah, that I didn't get that at all. But, yeah, I guess yeah. you're right. I kept thinking, what is it? Is he talking about a horse? or Because yeah, we never see him on a horse in the present. We only well, see his him on leg was His leg was damaged after they... they I, I, I thought maybe his leg was damaged in a fight, but there's one little line when the dragon that they swipe in that battle collapses, it, his uh, his leg is damaged from the, right. from the crash. So, and yeah. I'm wondering if further issues or further down the road, as Wolf goes was going to go back and get his vengeance, those different worlds that they flew through... Um, 
you know, through the dizzying spires of the Valley of Screaming Demons, and there's those pillars of, like, demon heads all built upon each other. And then there's the uh, the gathered hosts of the Lizard Kings, and there's, like, all these lizard iguana-type people in armor, and the dragons flying Lord. over, and then, this, then there's the floating cities of the Sky Pirates. So I, well, I'm, I'm assuming in later issues, as this story had went on, because I think there's only four issues in it, yeah, right. Five at the most, right, Paul? No, four, four, four. So I, I'm assuming he would have, like, this was his travel away from his homeland. He's going to have to go back through these places to get there, and he'll, and there would be right. different, you know, couple issues in each land as he works his way back to you, babe. So, did you ever read uh, the Trigon um, storyline in New Teen Titans? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's been a few different ones. You, you mean from, like, the original with Perez, right? And, um, and Wolfman? It's, it's either the, I, I can't remember if it happens in the original series or if it happens in the, uh, in the Baxter series follow-up. Well, I read that, too. I read, a, like, up to that where, where they switched, and then I read about, I want to say, at least 20 issues into the Baxter run, if not more. So, yeah, yeah, I, I... In one of those two, Perez had these towers of, of mm. people, just like the screaming demons here on that on that page. Was that it, like a Brother Blood issue? I, yeah, I think Brother Blood's castle had those type of things in it too. Yeah, mm. it's freaky looking. But yeah, this was a. I kind of picked this. Oh, that I'm sorry. The Trigon. They were more like a. They were more like wailing as opposed to, you know, they were like suffering like like hell images or something. I like his look when he finally uh, puts on like the chainmail shirt and he's ready yeah. for business. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't disagree with you, Scott, that uh, Atlas did put out a lot of crap, but I think Atlas also put out some decent stuff. Now, I'm going to I'm going to openly admit my. Opinion is somewhat colored by uh, nostalgia because I, I just kind of got a kick out of when uh, Atlas was coming out. But I enjoyed, from from the uh, barbarian point of view, I liked this. I also liked Iron Jaw, uh, which was another Atlas book. Uh, I don't know how good it was, but I enjoyed The Brute. It was kind of a Hulk ripoff, and we covered the first issue of that series at one point. And there was there was some good anthology series that were coming out, and they and they really did bring in some talented creators at points. So overall, I like the Atlas stuff, and when I can find it cheap, you know, fifty cents a dollar, I don't think I'm willing to go more than that on anything in general. But when I find the stuff for fifty cents or a dollar, I pick up any issues of any of the series that I find. So I have you know a, a small collection of them at this point. Uh, and mostly, like I said, I, I would say mostly it's colored by nostalgia. But uh, I, I got a kick out of the Atlas line that was coming out. And, and I do think there are some hidden gems in there uh, for what it's worth. And I totally struck you to silence. That's oh, good. No, I, Don't you talk now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated by their, their story. You know, the, the fact that, you know, that they wanted to come and, uh, you know, run with the big dogs and everything and then 
basically, you know, they, they, they were a flash in the pan, you know, they, they came in strong and then just kind of disappeared quickly. Um, and I'm fascinated by the people that they got, you know, cause they really attracted some, some big, um, you know, big creators of the time, but it's just, I don't know. It's, it's weird. Cause you know, most everything I've ever read of them, even when it was, you know, really talented creators and everything, most of it has, has not been particularly impressive to me, but I, I, you know, I also thought there was a lot of potential, um, you know, in a lot of the things that they tried to do, it was really just more the the execution type of thing. This, you know, unlike the books that I brought, this actually intrigues me enough to want to go forward to see, you know, what happened with it. And I mean, it, it had such a short life that, you know, it'd be fairly easy to because it was only just the four issues. Yeah, I have um, the I'm first also very three. Intrigued. I, just, I just have the last issue of this one to, to find yet. I, I'm intrigued also that, uh, you know, as Bill mentioned in the beginning, that um, apparently this got... I don't know if it's a continuation or a reimagining or what, but there was a an Atlas comics, some sort of revival uh, in 2011. There was there was a Wolf number one by Steve Niles and Nat Jones that looks really interesting. Because yeah. the cover there's, on we, that, we we may have to cover that book because there's some pretty uh, there's there's like some. <laughs> There's like a page. There, there's a page in there that's like, whoa, oh wow, okay. I don't know if you glanced yeah, it, through it. That's uh, uh, yeah. I kind of flipped through it real quick. It it looks really interesting. Well, the guy takes the the mask and puts it on his head. If you know what I'm saying. Right. But it's like two halves of a mask with spikes in it, and then he jams it on his head, and it's, you know, once he. I mean, these spikes are going to go into his skull, and then when he does right. it, it's like, it's like all these eldritch energy comes out, and it's like it's you can see blood coming out of the mask, and the mask looks like a skull. Yeah, it's really weird. It's pretty dark, a lot darker than than what we then. Well, I don't know. At least for this first, I don't know. This first issue is pretty dark. There's a lot of death in this, so. It's it's definitely different, definitely different. Uh, I guess I'll uh, I guess I'll give us a grade. Uh, for me, I am going to give the cover. Oh yeah, we didn't even I didn't even mention the cover. All right, so we have Wolfie standing at the gates of what appears actually it's a scene or almost directly from the story because he's standing over the body of the troll with a sword. Except here he's got all his goodies that he grabs on his way out. Uh, the sword, the cloak that he takes from um, uh, the rich guy that's the there. Yeah. Well, no, but... Oh, no, the, it, was the, it was the other guy, yeah. Yeah the, yeah, the cloak he grabs off the guy and he steals his horse and he rides out the gate. But here he's he's killed the Grinner, he's got the cloak on, he's got a sword, and there's a, a hot chick behind him with a, with a, with a torch. She's holding the torch for him, if you know what I mean. And uh, I'm gonna give it. Uh, I'm gonna give it. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good first issue cover. I'm gonna give it an a minus. The interior art. Oh yeah, we forgot to mention the ladies hanging out of the windows on the first page. 
that are, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe a little bit of ill repute. So, um, so I have no problems with any of the art. Nothing really seems wonky or out of place. It's very detailed. Um, I'm, and I, you know what? I'm gonna give it a B plus, maybe almost an A minus for the art because I really like it. And for the story, the story's intriguing. Yeah, it's derivative. Yeah, it's a lot of things we've seen before, but sometimes you know those things are. Just comfort food. And you know what's a nice touch is is when he finds um, his mentor and he's taken out the other – he's taken out two of the three guys and you can see them with the with the daggers in them. But he's like propped up against the wall with like one eye open. You know, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty dark. It's pretty gruesome. So I'm going to give the story a uh, – I'm going to give it a B plus. So it's like an A minus, A minus B plus book for me. Who's next? Uh, Go ahead, Paul. Sure. Uh, I think the cover is pretty sharp. Um, I don't know if I'd quite put it, you know, at the highest level, but I, I definitely like it. I'm going to say a B plus on the cover. The interior art. I'm frankly having a tough time finding anything to complain about about the interior art, uh, even looking at it with a critical eye. Uh, I really think not only does it, not only is it really good looking art, I think it fits the story real well as far as the tone. So I'm going to say an A on the interior art. And the story, you know, Scott, you mentioned its derivative nature, and I don't argue with that at all. I do think it's kind of a story that, you know, we've all seen before in many different ways, and it's easy to predict what's going to go on in it. But it's well told and it's enjoyable and it makes you like, you know, as, as you've mentioned, it, may, it gives you kind of the incentive to keep going and maybe read some more of it. So I'm going to give the story a B and overall I'm going to give this book an A minus. All right. Um, on the cover, I really like the cover. Uh, I think the only thing I don't really care for is the is the look of the the big guy that Wolf is standing on. But I think he's supposed to look the way he looks. He just looks weird and disproportionate and and just freaky to me. But I think he's supposed to look that way, so I'm not going to take anything off for that. But Wolf himself looks really really cool. He's very dynamic. I mean, he, he cuts a really dynamic pose. Um, it's almost a superhero-y uh, look to him with the with the cape he's got. It's a kind of a kind of a Thor and Captain America meets you know sword and sorcery kind of look to him. But it's cool. I really like it. It's it's very eye catching. So I think I'm going to go a straight A on the cover. I really like this um, interior art. Again, I'm impressed as hell with the art in this. I, I had no idea that Larry Hama had these kind of art chops. I don't think I've ever seen art from Larry Hama before. I, I think of him as, you know, as, uh, the, the GI Joe guy and, uh, anything I've ever read of his outside of GI Joe, I, I didn't really care for. I mean, Honestly, to me, the thing I most identify Larry Hama with is that terrible Star Wars story that he did. Uh, I think it's called The Third Law. 
It's awful. It's I think we voted it the worst issue of Star Wars when we <laughs> when we covered that. So that's what I think of it. Uh, you know? Sorry, I was just laughing because yeah, that's that's uh, you, know, you little you know hypocrite. The one I'm talking? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's with the butterfly and the whole. Oh, I didn't kill him. Yeah. I just made him so strong. He sucked down into the planet. Well, whatever. That's the one. So yeah, to, you know, to open this and see, you know, such really, really nice art and his name attached. I'm like, wait, are we talking about the same guy, or is this, you know, is it actually ghost drawn by somebody else? I, I don't know, but I mean, it, it's I, I really like it. I think it's really, really strong. Um, this is his cousin Harry Hama. <laughs> I'm going to go, uh, I think I'm going to go an A minus on the R. I really like it. I mean, there, there's definitely, you know, some room for improvement. It reminds me a lot of early um, Mike Grell in a lot of instances in this. I, I get a very serious Grell feel from a lot of this. Um, but I like it, and I think the the inking is really strong on it as well. Um and then story-wise, again, I'm going to give it a big old pass on the derivativeness because while it is incredibly derivative, I think it does some original things with the material that it derives from other sources. So, I mean, it intrigued me. It kept me turning the pages, and uh, and it makes me want to kind of go on to the next issue, You know, at least one more issue to see where it goes because I noticed that the next issue has the same creative team, but then three and four, um, they're both different, not only from the first two issues creatively, but from each other as well, which is kind of symptomatic of, of all of Atlas. Yeah, um, that's, that's I'm going to totally agree with you on that. Atlas had a little bit of a, uh, a you know, just kind of a, a nature where it was just all over the place and they didn't know where they wanted to go with it. And that's probably the biggest weakness, so... We're not necessarily disagreeing in what we think of what they produced so much as just the level of nostalgia that I feel for it. Right. So, so overall on this, uh, I, I think I'd give it a, I think I'd give it an A minus. I, I really enjoyed it and I, I really didn't expect to. I, I really found God Barbarians and it's Atlas. It's going to, it's going to be just a groaner to get through, but it wasn't at all. I mean, it kept me turning the pages. I, I liked it. I thought it was cool. Good pick. Here, here. So I'm looking at Larry Hama. In later years, yeah, he is pretty much a writer. But up until June 1985, he was doing... That was like the last one they have it as a credit uh, that was on G.I. Joe. He was a writer and a penciler. And then he did the 2010 Marvel Super Special of the movie 2010. I think I have that. Um, yeah, yeah, I have that. He did a Daredevil issue. He did Bizarre yeah, Adventures. He, he drew, drew 2010? That's what it says, Penciler. Huh. 2010, the year we make contact. So, yeah. like, it shows his first his first credit was as a penciler, and it was for DC Secrets of Sinister House number ten in 1973, yeah. and then he did Marvel Premiere. Oh yeah, he did uh, uh, Marvel Premiere 
Hmm. And then uh, he did uh, Planet of the Vampires, which is another Atlas. Oh, that was a writer. Okay. Right. He did two issues of Kazar as a penciler, 13 and 14. The Island, Marvel, The Island of Dr. Moreau, penciler. Uh, DC, he jumped back over to Star Hunters, which I'm not familiar with. Um, Men of War, he did an Enemy Ace story as a penciler. I'm just picking out the penciler stuff, not the, the right. other stuff. Uh, John Carter, Warlord of Mars, number 28, penciler. Man-Thing, he was a penciler. <laughs> Sorry, I just saw Star Wars 48. <laughs> yeah, and... <laughs> So, but I don't know if you see if he did covers. See what it pulls up for covers. Uh, I mean, if he's, if he's capable of this, then I just I can't help but wonder, you know, why why switch? What? Are you kidding me? He was the Star Wars penciler on the cover for. I do not believe that he was the. What's that? He was the penciler All right, on the cover. Okay, so he was Star Wars 45. That's the one with the probe droid, death probe, whatever. Yeah, I was, yeah, he, I was just looking at that. He was the penciler. He was an anchor on Star Trek 13 on the cover. Power Man and Iron Fist 76 cover and a bunch of G.I. and about four or five G.I. Joe books in the 80s. I huh. love that Luke Cage story in uh, in Power Man and Iron Fist 76. This is like the only issue of that series that I can remember anything that happened in it. And it it's uh, the one where a vampire attacks Luke Cage and busts his teeth on his unbreakable <laughs> skin. Oh, yeah. I remember that one. So, yeah, we discovered a little something about Larry Howley we weren't really aware of. Yeah, totally. I wish I'd known that about uh, Star Wars 45. I'd have taken that one to get signed for him, or you know, signed by him rather than 48, which made me feel like an asshole to get that one signed because I hate that story so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could have impressed him and say, "Oh yeah, hey, I actually yeah did this." Yeah. I love your art. You suck as a writer. Love your art. <laughs> Actually, I don't think he sucks as a writer. It's just he was just he was ill suited to write Star Wars. Well, that was that was the whole. Well, was not right before Empire, or just after Empire. So they were right still in like at, a, it was just after, and I think that's what makes it worse. Is that if it was a pre-Empire story, I'd be a lot more forgiving of it because I mean it was the wild mm-hmm. west, you know, between Star yeah. Wars and Empire. But after Empire, the universe was a little more formed at that point. You got a little bit better handle on, okay, this is what Star Wars is and the direction it's going to go. So that story, you know, it just, yeah, it just makes it look really. And it was, in all fairness, it was probably written prior to Empire. But unfortunately, oh, yeah. it, was it was when they had the drawer. It just, yeah. It, it just does not fit with the world, at, you know, of Star Wars as it existed after the Empire Strikes Back at all. Hmm. All right. Well, I guess we're. I guess that wraps it up. That ends it. Goodbye. <laughs> <I guess laughs> Jesus. 
that'll that'll be the end of uh, this week's show. It's nice that I, you know, we said a couple of weeks ago, uh, Bill, I think you weren't able to make it, and Scott and I did a, a kind of a traditional episode. And it's nice to get back to that because, you know, we, we do a lot of special projects and special things. But uh, every once in a while, it's nice to just kind of go back to the roots and just do, you know, three random books. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's what we did today and with mixed results as far as the quality. But I think that's also kind of nice. I, I don't want to just pick out books that we love, that we have, you know, have to be one of these shows where we love everything that's on. I also don't want to be one of these shows where, you know, nothing makes us happy. So mixed right. quality works for me. Yeah, absolutely. So it's been fun, guys. I hope uh, it's the same for the listeners. And uh, I hope they'll come back next week to listen to us again. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Love you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Oh God! I get, oh man! I think I like forced it down further now. <laughs> Put that in with no context, Paul. <laughs> oh <f- laughs> you! <laughs> <laughs>